You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here today. Glad you came to church. Are you glad you came? Amen. The Lord is here. If you have your Bible, you can tune to Luke chapter 4, excuse me, 5. Um, this last weekend, we had the honor of traveling to Alaska to minister there to um, the Kyle students uh, for their winter conference. And um, in many ways, people have written off this younger generation as uh, worldly and caught up in um, shallow things of this world. But I got to say, there is a hunger in this young generation for the things of God. There's such a hunger for the things. And, and I mean the real something real, not for tradition, for something real, that Jesus would mean something for their lives. Just like all over this room, many of us have had encounters, all of us hopefully have had some sort of encounter with the Lord. We need that in our life, and uh, this younger generation is, is, is hungry. The Friday night service, I, I preached a challenging message to sur- surrender their lives wholeheartedly, to give their lives, to think about what that means to give your life. A lot of times we mean just like, Lord, I'm gonna add you into my life, but it literally means to like give, I place my life entirely into your hands. It is not my life anymore, it is yours. And called in them to respond, and every single student came and responded and, and got on their faces before the Lord. And we, we, we sat there for two hours just worshiping the Lord, and Steve got up to transition the time and say, hey, we've got hot chocolate out on the lake, we're gonna do all these different things, and no one moved. No one moved. It was after midnight, and I still, I left. I went to bed, and I don't know if they were still there all night or what, but there's a hunger. So please don't write off the next generation, and if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, we have a responsibility to have an open door to the next generation, uh, have an open door into our, not to our lives and our hearts, but also into our homes, um, into our insight, into the word that the Lord has taught us. Amen. Amen. So this last weekend, a young man asked me, he said the simple question, I love questions like this, that people are afraid to ask because it seems so simple, it seems stupid almost. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I said, well, the answer is in the question. It means to actually follow him. It's more than just doing what he says living the way that he lived. It's more than just his teachings or reading about him, but it it means to actually follow him and to have a relationship with him. Paul describes it in this way in Galatians 5, that we would stay in step with the Spirit, that we walk. That word walk means to like every single day walking with the Lord, walking with him. To follow Jesus, that means when he's leading us, when he's speaking to us, we follow That means if he's telling us to sit still and to wait, we sit still and we wait. And I know that's a really hard one for us, isn't it? But I don't want to wait. I want the answer. But oftentimes we'll circumvent the waiting and what God is actually trying to teach us in the waiting and try to go get it on ourselves so that when we do get it, it's not of the Lord. There are ways in the kingdom, or there's ways in the world where the Lord allows, allows our ways to work, but they're not birthed in him, and so they will not stand on that great day. 
follow Jesus and we never grow out of that. We never graduate from that. Think back of when you gave your life to the Lord or maybe you're in this room and you're wrestling with whether or not you even believe in God or not. Maybe you've walked with him for a long time and you're wrestling. I felt in, in my spirit during worship that there was somebody here giving themselves over to discouragement and hopelessness. Saying to themselves, like, what's the point? And I look around a room and people on fire for the Lord, but I feel so far away from him. I feel dead inside. What's the point? I'm telling you this morning, don't lose hope. Keep your heart open to Jesus. Always keep your heart open to Jesus. And listen, I look around this room right now, and I, 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 there's hundreds of testimonies represented here. People whose lives have been transformed by the power of God, by his faithfulness, by his kindness. Isn't he so kind? Hasn't he been kind to you? Yeah. <laughs> He's been so kind to me. Many of you have experienced this healing power. Many of you, Jesus has delivered you from addictions, depression, anxiety. He's put the joy of the Lord in your heart. He has become your joy. He's restored marriages in this room. He's restored, he restored my marriage. Thank you, Jesus. He's healed hearts. But listen, oftentimes we only live our life in part of the gospel. We live our life in the first half of the gospel, which is that Jesus came and he, he washed us and he cleansed us of all righteousness. And we sit and we sit in this place of saying, thank you, Jesus, now I can have eternal life. But listen, he saved us, not just for our own sake, but for something. So the second half of the gospel is that now you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. For what? For power to be a witness. And I just, I, as I was spending time with the Lord this week, I felt like we're in this transition point as a church where now it's the sending now it's the going. Now we become his hands and his feet. He's raised us up into new life, and now he's sending us out. Do you remember in, in John 20 when Jesus appears to the disciples? He had been crucified, and he rose from the dead, but they, did, they didn't know it. They locked themselves in a room for fear of the Jews. And when I used to read that, I, I'd kind of I'd get upset with them. Oh, they didn't have any faith. But listen, we all would have been in that room with them. Be like, the dream is dead. I must have misunderstood what he was talking about. It's all, there's not going to be any restoration of Israel or, or humanity. It's over. And then we're next. If it all depends on us looking around the room, it's like, we're, this is going to be tough. But is, that's true, though. If it's dependent on me, if it's dependent on you, we are in for a rough road. But then what happens? Jesus appears. He appears out of nowhere. Wouldn't that be terrifying? He appears out of nowhere. And what does he say? He says, peace be with you. It's the same thing that he says would happen in, in, in John 14. Peace be with you. And why is there peace now all of a sudden? Because the Prince of Peace has entered the room. Where there was chaos and fear, now there is peace. And then what does he do? He says, he, he reiterates the plan all along. He said, just as the Father has sent me, what am I going to do? I am now sending you. And that is the mandate that we still live under. We have been redeemed. 
And now he has raised us up, not just so we can have a nice bless me party, but so that we could be the hands of Jesus to a dying generation. So listen, this is the gospel, that Jesus came to this earth and he overcame every temptation that mankind has ever faced and will ever face. And that's why we can confidently sing that he is the God who was and who is and who is to come. He is Lord over the past and he's Lord over your past. He is the Lord over the present and everything that we are facing right now in this moment. He is the Lord over the future and he has made a way for us to live from from a place of victory that always overcomes. He has showed us how to live because he was a perfect example of what it means to live sold out, completely dependent on the Father. He gave his body to be tortured for us. He took on the, the shame and the weight of sin. He was humiliated and hung on a cross on a tree that he created by a people that he created. And he really died. It's, it's true. He, it's not just a story. It's not just a fairy tale. And he was put into a tomb for three days and he was raised to life again through the power of the spirit of God. Amen. And he really resurrected. He really rose. It's not just a story. And he really ascended to the right hand of the father where, where he stands now interceding on our behalf. And his finished work destroyed the power of sin and made, made a way for us to be reconciled to God through his blood. And for those of us who have forsaken our own life to follow him alone, he has given us the right to become children of God, <laughs> washed and cleansed of every sin by the power of his blood. And now his spirit lives in us. And so we don't just have a changed life, we have a new life in him. But this new life comes with a great responsibility. He has washed us, redeemed us, and poured out his spirit in us for more than just our own sake, but that we, his church, would be the vehicle in which the gospel is spread to the ends of the earth. We have been woven into his sovereign plan to redeem humanity from the pit. And just as he laid down his life, now we lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel so that all may see our glorious Jesus. Just get a glimpse of him. Listen, what would your... What would your job look like? What would the people that you sit next to, that you work next to, what would their lives look like if they just got a glimpse of Jesus? What would your neighborhood look like? What would the, the people who you, you live and you, you mow your lawn next to each other, you say hello, what would their life look like? You hear them arguing next door, what would their life look like if they just had a glimpse of Jesus? What if that person on the street corner you pass by every single day just had a glimpse of this glorious one, the one who can heal their heart and heal every disease, take their sin? What would it be like? What would your life look like if we just saw Jesus? Well, in Luke chapter five, we have this beautiful story of Jesus cleansing a leper. It's a simple story. It's one we've probably read a hundred times, but this is a, the, a prime example of what Jesus came to this earth to do. And now that he's calling us to do, not that we become gods like Jesus, but that now we are co-heirs in Christ. And just as he was sent by the Father, now he has sent us as well. 
So if you look in verse 12, it says, while Jesus is, was in one of the towns. I love, when I, I read this, it was like, it's not even really important that he tells us what town that he's in. It's just, the important thing is Jesus, that Jesus was there. And you can look back just through the, the previous, like, this is on my right-hand page. I look at the left-hand page, and it says, Jesus went to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He shared in the synagogue. Then he went to Capernaum. He went to the, left the synagogue, and he went to, to Simon's mother-in-law. He went to, by the lake of Gennesaret. Everywhere he went, Jesus interrupted and changed it all, turned it all upside down. Everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. And while he was there, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Leprosy is something we hear a lot about in the Bible because it was incurable and, and, and highly contagious. But it's also, um, it's also like a, a, a metaphor for, for sin, really. The slow decay of sin and the inability for ourselves to make ourselves clean. I mean, leprosy was real, and it was a real thing back then, but this is the effect of sin on the human heart, on the human life, the slow decay, the slow dying, body parts slowly falling off, and you exiled out into the outer darkness. So this man, completely hopeless, cut off from society, hears about this one Jesus, and it says, and when he saw Jesus... He fell on his face to the ground and he begged him. When Jesus is revealed in our lives, listen to me, when Jesus is revealed in our lives, there really is only one response. Worship and surrender. The falling down out of our face, like literally or, or spiritually in your heart as a posture of the heart. Worship and and surrender. And this is a common theme throughout scripture. When Jesus is revealed as Messiah, when people see him, they fall down on their face, recognizing him as Messiah, as the only one who can heal, the only one who can take away the sins of man. The hungry ones, this is their response. Do you remember the story in Luke 10? of Mary and Martha. Martha receives, she goes to Jesus and receives him into, his home, into her home. So her heart is open to Jesus. But then she's mistaken. She thinks Jesus wants a sandwich when Jesus really wants worship. He really wants affection. And what does he say to Mary? He says, she has chosen the better thing and it will not be taken from her. Open hearts to receive the Lord. About five years ago, we were, it's wild to think we've been in Ames now for four years. It feels like longer than that and shorter than that at the same time. Before that, we pastored in Iowa City area. I met a man, uh, a friend called me and said, hey, my friend is uh, from work, just found out he has brain cancer and he has five months to live. Will you come, will you meet with us and pray? 
So I said, of course. I remember showing up when we're in this like grocery store. We're not um, in a very, what would, we would think as a spiritual environment. And this young man, who was very visibly shook up. Obviously, you get that kind of prognosis. Without the Lord, it is completely hopeless. It's hard enough to hear that when you're following Jesus, but if you have no hope. And we began to talk, and it was so clear that his heart was tender to the things of God, that he needed Jesus. And so I shared with him the gospel. I shared with him my own testimony of giving my life to the Lord when I was 20 years old an addict, an alcoholic. And right there, he gave his life to Jesus. And then we prayed, Lord, I pray against this cancer, pray that this cancer would go in Jesus' name. He had a family. The reason he found out he had cancer is because his son had had cancer. Prior to him having cancer, his son had cancer. And so they started doing tests on him and realized that there's a gene in the male side of the family line that every male for the last 100 years has either had cancer or died of cancer. And it would get passed on from generation to generation to generation to every single male. So he started getting tested and that's how he found out that he had cancer in the first place. Well, a couple months later, we moved to Ames. And sometimes, you know, you pray for people, you minister, you don't get to see the outcomes. You don't get to see, and that's okay. Sometimes we plant. We all like to harvest, right? But sometimes my job is just to plant. And if we think kingdom, it doesn't matter whether we're we're planting or we're harvesting, knowing without a planting of seed, there is no harvest. And so I, you know, I, we have had encounters like that often and you don't always know what's going to happen. Well, years later, this, I think it was about a year ago, I heard the testimony of what happened to this young man. The doctors had told him, you, you know, we'll, we'll do treatment, but it's pretty pointless at this point. And over the next coming months, the Lord completely healed him of brain cancer. Amen. And since then, and since then, they have had a son. And they, they did genetic testing on the son, and he is the first male to not be born with that, that gene. Amen. And now that whole family, obviously that'll mess you up. Your whole family, that whole family is loving and serving Jesus. They run a gym and they tell everyone they know about the Lord. Um, The whole family is serving Jesus and serving the church. When we get a glimpse of the Lord, our only response can really be worship and surrender. So he sees Jesus and he falls down on his face before the Lord and then he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's an interesting statement. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's not if you're able. He came into this thing already believing he is fully able. What he was hung up on is if Lord would be willing to heal someone like him. And that is common. I found that to be true for people that maybe don't even believe in the Lord, but they said, if I did believe in a God, he, had, he would have to be all-powerful. But we get hung up on his will. Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe he's trying to teach me a lesson. Maybe he's punishing me. 
But this man came with the purity of heart. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I believe there's a cry of every single human heart to be reconciled to the creator. And there's something within all of us that knows that we were made for more. And this is why we are continue, continually talk about and continue. We need to see him rightly. A.W. Tozer, he said, the, the most important thing about you is what you, what you think of God, what comes into your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. It will, it will be the thing that drives your life. Who is God when he comes to your mind? And oftentimes we come to the end of our understanding of God's love for us. And we need to come again before him and say, Jesus, show me who you are. Show, you, show me who I am in you. Reveal your heart again. And it, that empowers us to live for him. There's a young man that we support as a missionary. He came uh, out of our Chi Alpha here named Mason Bjorley. Some of you know him, our friends. Radical believer. He, um, the Lord just changed his life. He got saved, actually, in Tanya's dad's youth group. Um, radically, and he's one of those guys that read the word and was like, okay, I'll just do that then. And it's just, I mean, it's a very challenge, challenging um, life. And I remember he came into my office and he said, I feel like the Lord's calling me to go to Alaska. And I was like, okay, great. Well, you have a couple years of college left, so you can start pre- preparing for that. And he's like, no, like right now. And I was like, oh, like the old school way. We're just going to sell everything and we're just going to go. And it's funny as you tell people to follow Jesus, even as I did today, and then people say, I'm following Jesus. And then you're kind of like, well, not like that. <laughs> you know, let's, think, let's be reasonable here. His parents thought he was crazy. He moved to Alaska, just started working as a carpenter. That was the job available. He wasn't trying to emulate the life of Jesus completely. <laughs> Started working as a carpenter and just having guys into his home until um, him and a, a few other young men, three other young men, they started going out into the different villages. And their first trip, they went to this, this village called in, in Good News Bay. And they didn't really have a plan other than that we're just going to go and we're just going to pray with people. We're just going to love and share the gospel with Jesus. And... They stayed with a, a family of believers there. And one day they went out, three of them went out and one stayed back and prayed. And they walked into this grocery store, convenience store type place, and they walk in and they see these two ladies. And one of the ladies, um, you know, was pretty normally dressed. This other lady had earmuffs on and just had, a, uh, had this bull's flat brimmed hat on. Um, wouldn't want to really look him in the eye, just looked troubled. And they walk up to them and they said, the Lord has sent us here to pray for you guys. Can we pray for, for you? And the woman with the earmuffs said, you've come here to do what? She said, we've come here to pray for you. And she looked like she had seen a ghost. She goes, how many are there of you? <laughs> like, uh, well, there's three of us in front of you right now, but there's one more back, so there's four total. And again, she just couldn't believe it. She broke down in tears and she said, six months ago, I, I, uh, I began to pray to, to this one Jesus. She's been tormented by demonic spirits for years and years and years. That's why she would wear these earmuffs. It would help muffle the sound of the voices that were speaking to us. She was tormented day and night. 
And she hadn't tried everything else and she hadn't tried Jesus. So she started crying out to Jesus. And she said, one day Jesus spoke to me and he says, don't worry, I'm sending help to you. People are coming to pray for you. And she said, Lord, but how will I know? How will I know? He said, don't worry about it. People are coming. She goes, Lord, I need to know. How, how am I going to know? She goes, and the Lord said, there will be four of them. And so Mason took that as a, as a thumbs up from the Lord, like we're on the right track here. The next, she said, will you come to my house and pray over me that the Lord would deliver me from this? The next day they came to the house. Mason got out his guitar. He's just worshiping the Lord. Two are praying over her, her and one of them is going through the house, throwing away idols and demonic stuff. They're praying for hours. Finally, they gather around this woman and, and they begin to pray the name of Jesus over her. She begins to shriek, scream. This went on for some time and finally it stopped. He said, she looked up at me and it was like she looked like a completely different person. Like life had come back to her face and to her eyes. She said all the voices had stopped. She's completely freed and gave her life to Jesus that day. And Mason said, don't ever put those earmuffs on again. This is going to be a testimony. This is going to be a testimony to everyone here in this village that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he will heal you. And let me tell you, the doors are wide open after that. Amen? If you are willing, Jesus is able and he is willing. If anybody is confused, I'm telling you, he is willing. His, his hands are outstretched. Oh, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so we'll, we'll, let's keep going. It says in verse 13, so Jesus reached out his hand, then he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus is not indifferent about you. He is not indifferent about the struggles of humanity, but Jesus is God's right hand outstretched to humanity. If you ever wondered if, if God cares about you, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is, is God's right hand extended to humanity. The man came and Jesus reached out and touched the man. And that's all it took. That's all it took. A touch and a word from the Lord. It's similar to Revelation chapter one. I was reading uh, Revelation this week for some reason. And in chapter one, in verse 17, it says, John says this, he describes seeing Jesus, his face shining like, uh, like the sun, his eyes blazing like fire, um, the, the word of the Lord, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Again, when we see Jesus, it's going to bring us to a place of complete surrender and worship before him. And then he placed his right hand on my head. And he said, do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is that hand outstretched. And listen, I see it now. He's outstretched his hand to you. He has not passed you by. He has not passed you by. His, out, his, heart, his, his hands are outstretched to you and he says, I love you with an everlasting love. I have not forgotten you. You are not an outcast. You are not dirty. I have come and I make you clean. 
I give you a new name and a new family. You are no longer an orphan, but now you are a part of the family. Scott, would you come? I'm going to close sometime in the next half hour. This fall, I got asked to share at um, this Chi Alpha Leaders gathering. This Chi Alpha Leaders from all over the region. And anytime I share, I ask the Lord, Lord, is there something that you want, one, do you want me to speak on? I always ask that, but is there any specific words for people? And I'm, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I wish that I could say that I'm always like, yep, great, Lord, I'll do that right away. I'm still learning, I'm still growing in the things of the Lord, but I was praying and I, and the, I felt the Lord say, I said, God, is there something that you, you, you know, a word that you wanna speak to somebody? And the Lord, I just heard these two words, death blow diagnosis. And I thought, Lord, is there something cooler I could say? <laughs> is there something else? And also, I don't know what that means. Can you tell, what, tell me what it means? And nothing, nothing. And I could make guesses and I could try to speculate. And then I've learned now enough, I'm wise enough to know not to add anything to what the Lord says. Just be obedient with the word he gives you. It's crazy as it might sound. So that next night I'm ministering at the end of the service. I said, I feel like there's, I have a word for somebody. It might sound strange, but I heard the words death blow diagnosis. And as, as soon as I said the words, the Lord downloaded what it meant to me. It wasn't that someone had received like a, 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 a diagnosis of death. But when they got this diagnosis the, this week, this week, it was like a death blow of, de of discouragement just washed over them. I said, is that anybody here? Did somebody here receive that diagnosis this week? And it was absolute crickets in the room. <laughs> Nobody raised their hand. Alex was there, right? Nobody raised their hand. I said, well, did it? maybe they left. <laughs> Finally, I was, I was like, man, I know it's for somebody. Finally, right here in front, a girl, a young woman raises her hand. She said, that's for me. I didn't know what was going on in her life. But we all gathered around. We started praying. God just touched her. Man, and she, God just touched her. You can see the discouragement on her face, but the Lord touched her. after the service her husband came up to me he's like man I almost ran up there and raised my wife's hand <laughs> I was like that's us he was like that's us and they've been struggling for a long time to get pregnant and finally that Tuesday before this was a Saturday that Tuesday they had gotten news that they were pregnant and so they were excited but with that came for her this, this fear her mother had had many miscarriages her sister had a incredibly difficult time getting pregnant and so with that came fear the next Friday so the day before that Friday they had a doctor's appointment and the doctor said you have a, a cyst on your ovary and we're going to have to do surgery and we might lose the baby and she said I felt the discouragement just wash over me and we prayed over that woman and God touched her and then I just got news this last Friday. He sent me a picture of the, the, of the, uh, the ultrasound. He said, everything is, the cyst is gone. 
it's gone and the baby is perfectly fine, is growing normally. Amen. Really, you have to believe me. I'm not telling you these stories so you think that I'm so cool or so great. I, I really, my heart is, and this is heart of, of Drew as well, is that, man, we would see Jesus, that we would take seriously this call in our lives to be sent ones. That we would understand what, a, what, it, what the word Christian even means. It means to be little Christ. That this is the plan. What a slap in the face of the devil. Humanity is the one, who the ones who, we, we messed it all up. And Jesus is like, listen, the same ones who messed it up, I'm gonna use them to redeem it all. Amen? The Spirit of God is gonna come upon them in power, and they're gonna destroy the works of the devil, just like Jesus did. But this is the secret he tells us right here. In verse 14, it says, Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. Prayer, the secret place, is the key to great faith and courage in the kingdom. The secret to the kingdom is in the secret place. It tells us that Jesus went to the lonely places, the desolate places, but it doesn't mean that he was lonely there. It didn't mean that he was lacking. Even when it says that he was at 40 days in the wilderness, he overcame every temptation that was thrown at him. That the Lord became his sustenance. He wants to bring us to a place where we are completely unencumbered and undistracted from the things of this world. That we might hear his voice clearly. If you want to hear his voice in the big things of life, learn to listen list in the small things, in the little things. When he whispers in your ear, why are you watching this? Is this adding anything to your life? Why are you listening to this? Hey, listen, why are you thinking like that about that person? If you want to hear his voice clearer, start listening in the small things. The small things turn out to be actually big things, but... And the everyday, the conviction, keeping your heart soft and tender before the Lord. The great Leonard Ravenhill in, in the book Why Revival Terry says, no man is greater than his prayer life. We wonder why some of us have petered out or seem to reach our ceiling. We put the ceiling there ourselves. The place of prayer, of intimacy with the Lord is a place where faith grows because faith, as Drew has said before, faith is a person. It's when Jesus is more real than whatever you're facing in your life. When Jesus is, is stronger than any sickness, any disease, any hopeless situation, where he becomes more than just a Christian platitude or something that we put on our wall, but it becomes real to us. This birth in this place of prayer and reverence before the Lord of saying, God, my life is not mine, it is yours. It is yours and yours alone. And he invites us into that beautiful union. Do you remember in John 17 when Jesus prayed this prayer? 
I pray that they would be one in you as I am one in you. That is some serious implications. Again, it's not a quality with God, but that same union, that same intimacy with the Father, Jesus invites us into that sacred unity, our union with him. His hands are outstretched and he says, come, but he will not force you there. He will not make you go. But instead, he says, hey, listen, the table's set. The door is open. Would you come and eat? I've said that maybe I'll have it on my gravestone one day, but there's nothing that God cannot do with a life that is completely submitted to him. We're still reading about him, people like that thousands of years later. People that were not special, people none of us would have picked. The people that we would have picked is Saul, the king of, <laughs> that got rejected by the Lord. That's who the people picked. Can we stand across this place? I want us this morning to take seriously the call upon every single one of our lives. Sometimes we we like to elevate people as chosen from the Lord. Well, they're called to ministry. They have a touch on their life for ministry. And we like to elevate those people because in some ways we, it kind of abdicates us from our own responsibility. We say, I, well, they're, they're called. I'm just a normal person. I'm just a, I work in a factory or I, I, I work in an office. But no, this is for every single person. And sometimes, listen, in the church, we, we pray a lot for revival. And I'm, I'm all for it. We pray for revival every single week. But again, sometimes we pray for revival because we want, Lord, Holy Spirit, draw the people so I don't have to go out. <laughs> Bring all the people in here so I don't have to have an awkward conversation with my neighbor. That I don't have to feel like I get rejected or, or look like a fool in front of people. There is no plan B. We are it. We are it. His church is it. And he has equipped us with everything that we need for life and godliness. He has equipped us. He's given us everything that we need through his spirit and through the community of God his word, and his word to win. Amen? Let's just turn our attention towards him right now. Jesus, we thank you we thank you for your finished work. Complete. The complete and finished work of Jesus. And what it means for us. And what it means for the city and for our region or for wherever we come from. That now you say you are a city on a hill. So Lord, I pray even towards those in John 3 where it says that Jesus was the light that came into the world but man chose darkness I pray for we would have a heart for even those who choose darkness who have seen a great light and still want to remain in darkness I pray you call us to that place of prayer would you just receive this prayer from the Lord right now I pray in Jesus name that you call this church the people here even those represented other churches in this room I pray Lord you call us to that place of intercession and that doesn't necessarily mean the prayer closet. It can mean when we're driving to work in our car, or we're at work, or whatever we're doing. This place of intercessory for people that you love. For people that you love. 
And Lord, that you'd give us such a boldness that we are unlearned people, but we have been with the King. And so you've given us everything that we need. And so Lord, we say, I'm willing to look like a fool for you. I'm willing to look stupid for you. I'm willing to even miss it sometimes and make mistakes, but you've made margin for my mistakes. So Lord, today we just say yes to you. We say yes to you, Jesus. We want you. Only you, King Jesus. Only you, King Jesus. No one else, nothing else but you, Lord. Faithful King. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.